0: Friends, we uh, continue this morning in, in our, our rebuild uh, series. We've considered what it means and, and we've considered the invitation to name the things that have, have been lost as we look at the last year, or just kind of look at life in general, to name that which we have lost. We've considered those things that uh, maybe that God actually wants to strip away. Those things that hinder us and, and limit our ability to step into the rebuilding process that God wants to do, not only in our lives, but, but more uh, specifically in and through the church. And we've, we, we've considered God's faithfulness in, in, the, in the midst of loss, and, and that is the foundation on which God is doing something new. That is the foundation on which God is, is building. And then last week we considered that in the process of rebuilding, healing takes place. There's healing that happens when we allow God to go to work in our lives to bring rebuilding, to bring restoration. There's healing that takes place in the church, and most importantly, there's healing that takes place in the world when we allow God to be in the business of rebuilding and renewing. Those words from Isaiah that have framed this whole series for us See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? We believe that God is doing a new thing, that we've been given an opportunity. Listen, there are so many things about this past year that have been incredibly difficult. But God does God's best work when life is difficult. God does God's best work when we are kind of brought to the end of ourselves, when we realize that everything that we have placed our hope in, everything that we have placed stock in, when God strips those things away and we are brought to the end of our rope, God is at God's best at the end of our rope. This morning, I, I want to in- invite us to consider how we, are, how we are being formed and what is forming us in, in this process of renewal and in this process of restoration. Because the reality is, church, we are we are all being formed by something or someone. And and the question is, what is it that's forming you? Who is it that's forming you? Into what are you being formed? Into what are you being built? Because I can tell you that we have an enemy and, and we have a world that would love that would love to be the ones that are forming us. We have an enemy that would love to be at work in forming us and forming the church to convince us of things that, that, as I said earlier, that that are simply not true about who God is and and what life as a follower of Christ is like. Because when the enemy is able to do that, then then all of a sudden he's convinced that he's he's inoculated the the power of the message of, of the gospel. And, and so this idea that we're all being formed by something and we are all being formed into something. And, and the question is, who and what is forming you? And, and what, are you, what are you being formed into? What is it that you're building your life toward? What are you ordering your life toward? What is the end of that? This in our scripture that will be on the screen, but I, I want to share this with you from 2 Corinthians. I love Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, particularly the second one, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 17, just verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We've already proclaimed that this morning. And, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or, or reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into the image of, into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who, who is the Spirit. So two things that, that are true about where the, the Holy Spirit is at work, and one is that we are, we are called into freedom in that, and, and two, that it, it, is the, it is the Spirit that transforms us and is transforming us into the likeness of Christ. So that is the image which we are meant to bear for the world. It is the, the Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus that should be forming us and into the likeness of Jesus that is the image into which we are being formed. And if it's not, like if that's not who and what is forming you, and, and if that's not the, the picture or the image into which you are being formed, then, then we, we get to deal with that and we have to, some work to do, right? And the beginning of that work is just confessing it. It's just saying, God, I, I confess to you that I'm allowing other things other than you to form me, and I confess to you that I am allowing myself to be informed into things that aren't you and that, that aren't a picture of your son Jesus in this world. And that, that's where we begin to experience the freedom from the tyranny of, of the world and the tyranny of what the world would, would have us become and would have us believe and would have us prioritize. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul goes on to, to write these words, these worlds these words. These words. And and this is the the purpose for the freedom and and transformation. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 15, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. How much, gosh, like how much has that been the narrative of the past year? We are viewing People who are created in the image of God from a worldly point of view, not as God sees them. So from now on, Paul writes, We regard no one from a worldly point of view though, once, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of Reconciliation. The old has gone, the new has come. We are being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Christ for the sake that we take up the ministry of reconciliation, that we take up that which Christ made possible, that we might be made right in our relationship with God, that we, that we take that up and see that as the reason for which we exist as individuals, the reason for which we exist as the church. both the hope and the, the challenge in those words that Paul offers there. I have conversations so often with you know, college students, gosh, people out of college who are wrestling with, I, I just don't know what, what God's call on my life is. Well, I think the call is simple. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, then the reason that you exist, the call on your life, is, is to glorify God and to make disciples. That that part is plain. That, I don't want It's not simpleness in the sense that it's always easy to do that. But that part is plain. The question becomes, what's the context through which you'll do that? That's a different question, and I think that's part of the adventure of of allowing the Holy Spirit to to work in us and and giving God license to to move and to to shape and to place us in the spheres of influence that God wants to place us in. We we are created, made new that we might be image bearers of Christ, that we might take up the same ministry of reconciliation and inviting the world into relationship with God through Christ. that's, That's into what we should be formed. That's the direction, the trajectory in which our life should be moving. And the church has Believed and the people of God have believed for a long time that, that worship is a, is a part of that. That worship, in fact, plays a significant role in that. And so we, we want to consider the work of worship in our, our formation this morning. This, uh, this passage will be on the screen. This is our, our focus for today. If you would, in, in honor of the reading of God's word, please stand with me. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 14, is the, the chapter of Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. This is God calling Isaiah to to declare these words. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them? and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings." If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Years ago, when I was when I was youth director here, one of the things that we used to love to do was to take our, our, our leadership team uh, to the National Youth Workers Convention and to spend just several days together in, in worship and uh, being taught and led by by those who who had been in youth ministry for a lot of years and and spending time together as a as a team just a rich time uh, for us, one that we were just always grateful for. And one of the years that we went, Shane Claiborne, who uh, some of you may be uh, familiar with, he was slated as, as one of the keynote uh, speakers, and it was always a, a privilege to hear from Shane Claiborne just his ability to unpack and teach the Word and, and, and challenge in, in a way that somehow was both like stomping on your toes and inviting all at the same time. Um, he, he stands up and he, he opens to Matthew chapter 5 and says that he's going to be, um, he's going to be uh, preaching from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and we thought, gosh, what, what a better person to do this, you know, than, than Shane Claiborne to, to preach from the Sermon on the Mount. And so he stands up and he begins with Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and he reads Matthew 5 in its entirety, and then he reads Matthew 6 in its entirety, and then he reads Matthew 7 in its entirety. He read the Sermon on the Mount from start to finish, and, and then he said, I think the world would look a lot different if, if we took these words to heart and, and tried to live this way. And then he closed his Bible and he sat down. And I, I, am, I am like 99% sure that that was not the plan. Like the organizers of the National Youth Workers Convention, I'm pretty sure that that's not what they thought they were getting when, when they invited Shane Claiborne to speak, and in, in his mind, you can't really add much to the Sermon on the Mount. It, it, it kind of speaks for itself, and, and it's one of those that you, you read it, and the Holy Spirit will do the work with that that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I was telling Jeff uh, this week as we were looking at Isaiah chapter 58, I said, I kind of feel like that Isaiah 58 is that way. Let's just read it and, and uh, allow God to be the one who steps on toes and who challenges us, and then, and then I'm, I'm just going to sit down and we'll pray and invite the worship team to come back up and, and just let God do what God's going to do. But I do think it's important for us to understand these words of Isaiah and why they fall the, where they do in, in the whole, you know, the whole book of Isaiah and, and, and the prophecy. And, you know, Isaiah is really kind of divided into, into three parts that, that deal specifically with kind of three different parts of the journey uh, of God's people. And at this point in Isaiah, this is considered the, the third part or Isaiah 3, as you'll hear it referred to uh, sometimes. And this, this portion in Isaiah... The people of God have already begun to come back to Jerusalem and have already begun the process of, of coming back out of exile and, and rebuilding. And I, I think it's interesting, it's not interesting, it's, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that over the course of at least uh, the past few weeks in this series, we've, we've kind of centered around that return, and we've kind of centered around that rebuilding. And that, that wasn't the intention when we began to pray and, and dream and, and, and put this series together months ago, but we, we realized over the past few weeks that God's just had us kind of sitting in different places in the Old Testament that give us a picture of what was going on in the hearts and minds of, of God's people that were being called out of exile, like out of captivity back into freedom and being resettled in the place that God had given them as God had promised God would do. So they felt the sting of judgment. They felt the sting of God's discipline, but that never negated God's faithfulness. It never negated God's love for them and God's purpose for them as a people. And so here we see again, a, a, a different, from a different vantage point and God using the prophet Isaiah to proclaim something to those who are beginning to resettle and come back to the, the place that God had given them. And in coming back after being in captivity and, and being in a place where now there's more freedom to, to worship as they, they know to worship as God's people and to begin to follow, um, you know, God's instruction to them through Moses and this is how you worship, the means by which you, you worship and, and, and the purpose for your worship, the people are beginning to, to take up worship again. And remember that one of, one of the reasons for um, the, the Babylonian overthrow, one of the reasons that God allowed them to be overthrown and to be deported, taken into exile, was that they had ceased to be faithful to God as the one true God. They had begun to add all sorts of other, other practices, and they had begun to do things their own way and to add, you know, this, this belief or this practice from here and, and set up idols, you know, to this God here and, and just to try to cover the bases, and, and any time we do that in our lives, with whatever it is that we set up as idols or whatever, we, we as, whatever it is that we set up as the thing that will, that will protect us and that will carry us and that will fulfill us, then, then we are saying something about who we understand God to be. And we are saying something about what we understand as God's ability to be enough for us. And in many ways, we are not unlike the people of God in which we set up idols in our own lives. And we might not call them idols, and we might not have shrines to them in our home. Although, depending on, you know, where you land with a given sports team, maybe there is an area of your home that looks like a shrine, right? I mean, guys, we call those man caves and just pass it off as like, that's just my space. But we're all worshiping something. We're all worshiping someone, and and the question is, is the thing or the person that we are worshiping truly worthy of our worship? Because what we see in Scripture is that there's only one who is worthy truly. So the people are are beginning to worship, and God, as God does with Isaiah, uses Isaiah, and and I I love these words at, at the beginning, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. And if you just stop there, you think, "Man, this is exciting! Like God, God is getting Isaiah stirred up to proclaim something, and we we assume that it's going to be something good, right? Tune the trumpet, like get get things lubed up, be ready to go." And and what Isaiah is is called to proclaim or to declare is, is judgment on the way that his people are worshiping. So what we see in the beginning is improper religious practice or improper worship. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right as if, uh, and, and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. And, and here, here's their complaint. God, we have fasted, and have you not seen it? We, we have humbled ourselves, and you've not noticed? The people are taking up something that God instituted, and, and if you look at Leviticus, God only called for fasting on the Day of Atonement. And, and the religious leaders and, and the people of God, and it's a practice that many of us as, as Christ followers practice. We, we practice, you know, fasting as, as a, a spiritual discipline, as a means of, of drawing near to God, as a means of kind of emptying ourselves, right? And, and, and stripping things away and putting ourselves in a place where we can focus more more deeply on God. Some um, use fasting as a means of God just, just humbling ourselves before the Lord if there's something that we want to see, you know, God do like as we as we get closer to revival and prepare for revival there there are some who who are fasting in in preparation for that. And so fasting in and of itself is not a wrong practice. It is it is a practice that God has given his people, but the only the only time in the Old Testament that God ordains fasting or God calls for fasting or God commands fasting is is on the day of atonement. It's an opportunity for God's people to, to allow themselves to feel weakness, right? Allow themselves when I mean, anytime you, you take food out of the equation, you begin to feel weak, you begin to feel woozy, like it affects you physically. And so part of that was, was for God's people to, to feel the, the physical effects of weakness so that they would acknowledge that in their sin, we, like we are all weak before the Lord in our sin. We have no power. No power to 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 correct or to overcome or or to make atonement for our sin on our own. And so as as preparation for the day of atonement and the sacrifice being made on behalf of God's people, God would call for for them to fast. And it's a practice that the people continue. It's a practice that we continue today. It was a religious observance. It was a part of the framework of how they worshiped. And and yet God's judgment against them here, God's complaint is that it's empty. You're just checking a box, right? They, they are they are practicing this this act of fasting as if to ingratiate God to them, as if to say, God, don't you see what we're doing? Don't you see how holy we are, and how we are fasting, and how we are stripping away fruit, food, and and we're just we're laying ourselves. But don't you see? Aren't you pleased with our worship? God says your your worship is empty. Your worship is improper, we've humbled ourselves, and have you not noticed? And, and I wonder how often we work to ingratiate God to us, or, or work to put God in our debt. Like how many times, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe you verbally do it, you have verbally done it at times in your lives, like you make a deal with God. God, if you just do this, I will go to church every Sunday. I mean, except maybe, you know, like Super Bowl Sunday but every other Sunday I'll go to church. I'll go with my mom on Mother's Day. I'll go Easter. I mean, I already go Easter and Christmas, but I'll go every Sunday. God, if you do do this, I will do this. Therefore, you will see my faithfulness and you will be in my debt. And I don't know what it is that we're asking for or praying for, but man, I used to try to make some deals with God when I was younger. It never really played out the way that I wanted it to. And we might not say those words verbally now, but, but you know, we're, we're perfectly willing to receive God's grace and then, and then to like, prove to God how deserving we are of it. We're perfectly willing to see the free gift that, you know, receive the free gift that God wants to give us and say, yes, I'm desperate for your grace. Yes, I, I need it desperately, and, and I'm willing to receive it, and God, thank you for it, but now let me show you in my life, like, how much I deserve what you've given me. And, and by doing that, then maybe, God, you'll be indebted to me and, and you will hear my prayers and you will answer in the way that, that I want to. And I, I just wonder for us, what is the purpose? What is our understanding of worship? And, and Isaiah is just focusing on one piece here, just fasting as an act of worship. He also looks at Sabbath at, at, at the end of this passage. But what is our understanding of worship? What does worship accomplish in our lives? This morning, in, in worship through, through music, and there are many ways that we can worship, but in worship through music, we've, we've experienced, I believe, powerful move of the Holy Spirit. But what happens as a result of that? What is, what is the purpose of longing for that? What is the purpose of lifting our voices together? What is the purpose of bowing our head in prayer? What is the purpose of opening God's Word? Is it forming us? Is God using this to shape us? Or is it merely so that we can check a box? Is it merely so that we can operate in the form of worship without allowing the work of worship to go to work in our lives? I wonder what would begin to happen if we stopped worrying so much about why God should or the ways that God might bless us and instead begin to give attention and focus to the things that are a blessing to God? What would happen if we stopped seeking God's blessing and instead started seeking and giving attention to those things that are, that are a blessing to God? God is not so much impressed with our religious activity if our heart is not connected to it, it's not just about going through the motions. All right, you, you've heard the saying that, that, that coming to church or sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christ follower any more than sitting in a garage makes you an automobile. So it's not just about the form of worship, it's about what we allow worship to do in us, it's about the purpose of worship. Fasting, in this case, yes, is about humbling yourself before the Lord. For the people of God, it was about humbling themselves for God, but not so that God would notice them. God can't notice you any more than God already knows you. There's nothing that you can do to draw God's attention to you more deeply than it is already drawn. There's nothing that you need to do for God to pay attention to you. God's eye is always on you. God is always aware of what's going on in your life. God's always aware of your circumstances. God is always aware of what's happening in your heart, what you're wrestling with in your mind. There are not things that we need to do to make God pay attention to us. Rather, there are things that we can do that focus our attention on God. On the day of fasting, he says, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and then striking each other with wicked fists. I, I think the, the Hebrew word for that is like that's what happens when you're hangry. Is that right? Yeah. Like you're so hungry, you just start fighting with each other. And and what was happening here is that God's people wanted to look so much like they were doing the right thing that they they would say to their their servants or to their slaves or to the workers in their house, hey, I'm going to fast and I'm not like, I'm going to observe these religious practices. And if you would pick up the slack, like if you would um, take care of the things that need to be taken care of, that'd be fantastic so that I can appear to be holy. And God's like, no, that's not, my heart doesn't beat for things like that. My, my, I am not drawn to you because you have chosen to, to present some picture of worship while you're oppressing those who serve you. I, I am not a God of oppression. I am a God who seeks to save those who are oppressed. And, and then God tells Isaiah, like, I, I want you to paint for them a picture of what true fasting or true worship looks like. I want you to understand that worship is about being drawn into a place where you are willing to humble yourself where you are willing to realize your weakness and realize that I've done everything to meet that weakness. I've done everything to meet you where you are. I've given you all that you need in Christ so that you might begin to focus less on self and focus more on those that I care about. God's care for us is already evident in the person of Jesus. And when we see worship as an opportunity to stay focused on that reality. And we see worship as an opportunity to to empty ourselves, to focus ourselves, whether it is time in prayer, whether it is time in the Word, whether it is time coming together corporately like this each week. It is an opportunity for us to reorient and to refocus so that the focus ceases to be self and instead becomes the things that God cares about. Those who are hurting, those who are oppressed, those who are walking in darkness, those who are hungry, those who have need, those who have lost hope, those who are wrestling with lies that the world has put upon them, those who who are wrestling with their identity because they've believed things about them that simply aren't true. They believe things about them that, that God wouldn't say about them. That's what true honoring God looks like, or truly honoring God looks like looks like. It it is beginning to spend your life on behalf of those that God cares about. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And and I love this. C.S. Lewis has some some words about this. C.S. Lewis says, Christ says, give me all. This is from mere Christianity. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've come not to torment your natural self, but to kill it. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own shall become yours. And then he goes on to say, you have noticed, I expect, that Christ himself sometimes describes the Christian way as very hard and sometimes as very easy. He says, take up your cross. And the next minute he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He means both. The terrible... the almost impossible thing is to hand over your whole self all your wishes and all your precautions all of it to Christ but it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead for what we are trying to do is remain what we call ourselves to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life and yet at the same time to be good If I want to produce wheat, the change must go down deeper than the surface. I must be plowed and resown. Friends, the work of worship, the way that we are meant to be formed is to keep ourselves in this posture before the Lord in which we are always willing to acknowledge our deep need. And to know that it's not when we put ourselves together, it's not when we check the boxes, it's not when we present this polished picture before the Lord that God then comes and meets our need and answers our prayer. Instead, we are very aware of the... The the truth that, that Paul speaks in Romans 5, that while we were yet sinners, while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait for us to get it together. Jesus didn't wait for us to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off and then say, now you are acceptable to me. Instead, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our deep need, Jesus comes and makes a way where there was no way so that we might be freed from the tyranny of worrying about self and instead free ourselves to worry about those who have no hope and those who do not have the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to close with with this thought. God uses these very powerful words, this promise that he makes when, when we are willing to take up the kind of worship that is pleasing to him. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorers of streets with dwelling. The purpose of God allowing his people to be brought back out of captivity and and to re-inhabit the land that he had given them was not for their sake alone. It was to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham at the beginning of Genesis when God called Abraham. I will bless you so that you might be a blessing to the world. The purpose of God restoring his people is so that we might then be a blessing to those around us. So that we might then, out of our posture of of need and gratitude for all that God has given us in Jesus, then to spend our lives on behalf of others. God promises to his people that ruin and destruction are not the last word for the fallen human race. if it was their sin that destroyed the city, it will be their righteousness through the grace of God that will rebuild it. I love this. God always gives us the dignity of being involved in putting back together what we have broken. God, I was going to. God always gives us the dignity of being involved in putting back together what we have broken. We cannot do it apart from Him, but He will not do it apart from us. Friends, as we consider the rebuilding that God is doing in our lives, as we consider the rebuilding that God wants to do in and through the church, we must consider that we cannot do it apart from God. And yet God in His graciousness is not willing to, uh, to do it apart from us. He's willing to involve us He's willing to invite us. And the way that we truly get to experience that is by allowing the Lord, by allowing the Holy Spirit to be the one who is forming us. What is the work of worship in your life? The work of prayer, the work of time in the Word, the work of coming together like this? Is it for checking a box? Or is it for allowing God to form you more deeply into the image of Jesus? That you might have the dignity of being a part of putting back together what we and our selfishness and sin have broken. Because God is in the business of making things new. And he wants us to be a part of that. Stand together, let's pray. We are so grateful. God, we are so grateful for the privilege of being able to gather together. We know that there are so many ways that we we come to you in worship, but we're grateful for for this opportunity on this day to pause and to come together as the body, to lift our voices and our hearts together. But God, even as we leave this place, I pray that you would keep in front of us the the question of what it is that we are allowing to form us and, and what is the image that we are being formed into. God, if that is anything apart from you, then I pray that as we gaze upon the person of Jesus, as we consider the cross, as we consider an empty tomb, that you would bring us to a place where we are willing to release those things that are influencing our lives, those things that are not you that we would release that desire to to chase that image and that picture that the world holds up as as being the goal for us. And instead, we would look to you, we would consider all that was given in Jesus. God, to display your love for us and to rescue us from ourselves. God, would, would we be a people and would we be a church that is formed into the likeness of Christ? that we might be a part of forming this world and making it new in the way that you promise. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things.